0: My grandpa used to say we're slaves of gadgetry. <laughs> well, bear with us, anybody that's watching through the live streams. We're trying out new software uh, to be able to stream to Facebook and YouTube at the same time. So if something goes awry, we'll try to work the kinks out sometime this week and hopefully next week have it working. But turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Uh, just some thoughts the Lord put on my heart this morning, uh, kind of some of the songs that I you know, I like mentioned this morning that we just sang, just a few thoughts coming through about the Lord knowing us. Uh, we talked last week about God's predestination and how providence flows from predestination, everything that God controls and is bringing forth and come to pass with His purpose, Uh flows from his predestination. He's predestinated all things whatsoever will take place, what will come. But, um, you know, a lot of times we we think about that, and we think about that in the terms of, as we even mentioned last week, every little tiny detail, sin and evil uh, and salvation. But, um, you know, one of the things that sometimes we don't really think about is The Bible says that also in that purpose that God predestinated before the foundation of the world and is bringing to pass in his providence uh, by his sovereign control uh, is also the manifesting of the love that he has for us. Uh, Sometimes we don't realize that part of God's predestination is that he would love his people. Uh, He had a love for his people and and from that love he predestinated them unto life. He predestinated them unto salvation. Uh, He predestinated that, that all things that would happen in time would lead to their redemption from sin. That would lead them to believe on Christ and ultimately, in all things, whatever so be, whether it's our redemption or like the leaves out there fluttering and doing what they do, all things, though, the Bible says, are of him and through him, and to him, and it's for his glory. So all things that have been predestinated by God are for his glory. And a lot of times we don't think about even the intricate little things of our life uh, uh, that uh, God has ordained, but he's ordained it for our glory. And one of those things that God has ordained, as we talked about last week, is sin and is evil, but is also... Uh, sickness and affliction and God has ordained um, uh, he's ordained uh, uh, calamity Uh, all things again God has ordained and this morning we see in in these passages that we're about to read we see not only the God's ordination of this
1: very event but we also see Sometimes, you know, we don't think about our afflictions as God's love
0: towards us or God's glory uh, being seen. But yet God did ordain a lot of things. Well, not a lot of things. He's ordained all things. But there are a lot of things that we don't understand and realize that God is doing this for a purpose. Just taking a wide step back, look, our country seems to be in shambles. We are probably at the lowest point in our country that this country has ever been. It's evil. It's immoral.
1: We've got crazy running the problem. I mean, it's just it's off the road. But Brother Michael is clear. So not all these things. He is to a root. And he is patient time for a specific purpose. And those things sometimes escape our mind or sometimes we
0: don't want to think about them because we don't like them. And the fleshly man, the fleshly Adam man, um, likes to rebel against God. Is at enmity with God and his purposes. And so even, even though we are children of grace, then that inward man uh, struggles against that outward man who likes to say, I don't like that God. The inward man is always there saying, but this is for God's purpose. This is for God's glory. And we think, well, how could God get glory out of what all is going on here? You mean to tell me that God is being glorified in the raising up of all this evil and wickedness and all the things that's going on and everything? Well, it might not seem like it in the immediate now, and that's the problem with our society now, and especially, if we, you know, we were talking about social media a while ago and, and everything, and we spend a lot of time on social media, and That, I believe, is part of the reason that the country is the way that it is. But one thing that we don't realize is with social media, it makes us a people that is so... um, I don't even know how to explain it, but we have to have everything now. I mean, it's just instant instant gratification, instant pleasure, instant entertainment. You know, we were talking about this a while back... uh, me and the family, and everything you know, having a having a fast food restaurant with the drive through where you can just pull up and order a meal and then drive away within five ten minutes, man that that's awesome. I mean to have that that's a that's a blessing, so to speak maybe. Uh, the, the food situation is a different story, somebody get me on that. But to be able to just drive up and get you something to eat and then drive drive away is just really a neat thing but yet sometimes we'll get there and they may take well it's going to be about three minutes on your fries well we get all upset What you ain't got fries ready right now see we've become so attuned to being able to get what we want when we want immediately that sometimes we don't think that there is a purpose there is a reason there's something going on but even at that We do not have the patience to see things through. And whenever it comes to afflictions, whenever it comes to hardships, whenever it comes to turmoil, whenever it comes to all these things that we would term negative, um, we don't step back and try to look and see what's the bigger picture here. And God does receive glory out of that. We want immediate gratification, but The glory of God will be seen in evil being destroyed, evil being judged and destroyed, that all wickedness is not getting out of the view of God. God's not turning the blind eye. God's not saying, well, that's okay. God is not an unjust God that every detail of everything will be laid bare before Him. It may not happen exactly right now when you want it to happen. But eventually all things will be to the glory of God. Whether it be in His righteousness and redemption and and, and love and grace and mercy towards the vessels of mercy. Or whether it be for destruction in His judgment and His wrath and His hatred towards sin and, and all the righteousness that's included in that in the destruction of the vessels of wrath. that has been fitted for destruction. And eventually all that, and and their father, Satan, will all be destroyed and be thrown in, in, in the uh, uh, everlasting darkness. So, as we begin to kind of look at um, some of these events that might take place, especially those that may seem to bother us a little bit, like... Uh, Afflictions and things like that we got to remember that it is for the glory of God and that if we are his children that those things are for our good he is everything that he is given the Bible says that he has done if we are the, the called we love the Lord and we are the called according to his purpose that is for our good right so we read here in John chapter 9 of a story of a man who was blind by birth now I couldn't think Well, I can think of a lot of things that might be worse than this, but that would be pretty bad to have been born into the world, never to have seen anything. Be able to experience sight at all and know nothing and everything. How scary that might be uh, to live in a place where you can't see what's going on. You can hear activity happening, but you don't know what's happening. You know, you don't know exactly what's happening. If something's coming at you, if something's going to get you, if you need to duck your head when you're walking through somewhere, I mean, you don't know what's what's happening so i can't imagine how it is to grow up blind from birth and uh but here we see a story of a man who was blind from his birth and i'm going to start reading here i'm going to revert down to verse seven and maybe pick a pick out some things and some thoughts in this passage it said as jesus passed by and and this right here brethren, i'm just going to stop and say this is the reason why I wanted to talk about this, because this phrase actually is what blessed my heart. And I have spoke about this verse before, and a long time ago, whenever I was preaching through John. This phrase just really grips my heart, because it shows the love and compassion of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus is walking through, I mean, there's a bunch of people that is around. I mean, he's in a crowd of people, he's walking through, and it says here, as Jesus passed by... He saw a man who was blind from birth. I mean, Jesus saw a man. Now, we know that Jesus is God. He knows all things, and he knows exactly where everybody is. He knows all events. He has an appointed time for everything. Uh, If you remember, whenever uh, uh, the disciples of him was walking, and they came to this place, and Jesus said, you need to go ahead and go on over here. I must need to go through Samaria. Well, why did he must need to go through Samaria? Well, because the Lord had appointed a time for him to meet a woman uh, in Samaria and to talk with this woman. And uh, the disciples didn't have a clue about that. Matter of fact, they was like, why are you going through Samaria for? We don't go through Samaria. We go around Samaria. And Jesus said, I must need to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had one of his children there. He had an appointment to meet his children and he was going to go meet that child They didn't know that they were a child at that time. Nobody knew that they they was a child at that time. But they was a child of grace, and the Lord had to go and meet them. It was an appointed time. Well, this is the same thing we see here. (laughs) Jesus passed by, and he saw a man. And I think about that, how me as a sinner, who is unworthy, who is uh, evil and vile, the corruption of my heart, the intent of my heart, the Bible tells me, my, the intent of my heart is evil continually. That in Adam there is no good in me. That all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But at some point, Jesus passed by and saw me. Now, I'm talking about an experience here, brother, because we know before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew us and he wrote our names down in a book. Okay, the Bible says that he wrote our names down in the book of life before the foundation of the world. He knew us. He he loved us with an everlasting love. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there was a point in time that this sinner who was in Adam, who was dead in trespasses and sin, who, who knew not God, I knew religion... But I didn't know the true God. I didn't know the true Jesus. I didn't know the true gospel. I didn't have love for that kind of God. Matter of fact, I was very uh, antagonistic and had animosity against sovereign grace. I had animosity against election and predestination. I didn't want that. I didn't want to hear people talk about that. I had some family that, that believed that and talked about that. And I didn't want to hear nothing about that. Uh you know and so uh, but yet there was a point in time when so to speak Jesus passed by and he saw me in my condition blind I couldn't see oh I thought I could see and as all of us do don't we every one of us thinks that we can see I mean there was a time I thought I had a handle on this right here I thought man I, I know that I grew up underneath the preaching of that I've studied this I know this and you know, at uh, uh, you know, I was teaching uh, adults. You know, when I was a teenager, in the church that I grew up in, I was teaching adults. And boy, what kind of an ego that gives a man, you know? And as a young man, thinking that I had a handle on all this and I could just, you know, debate anybody and prove anything, and you know, but now I realize I don't know nothing. <laughs> as Larry said, you know. How many sermons? 5,000 and still don't think I know anything. You know, as many sermons as I've preached, as much time as I've spent studying and and, and reading the Bible and and hearing preaching and being under the Word of God and all that stuff, I still can say I still don't know nothing and I'm ignorant of a lot of things and have a lot to learn. And as God wills and and gives the Spirit to reveal things to me, you know, there's a lot of things that I still don't know and I need to know. But yet there was a time whenever I was completely blind of all things spiritual. As is all of us. If we are children of grace, there was a time whenever we walked in ignorance, when we walked in deadness, whenever we had no spiritual understanding, no spiritual life. We were blind. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we're not only blind, but we're deaf. We can't see spiritual things and we couldn't hear and understand spiritual things. We were <clears throat> blind and deaf. <clears throat> but yet, the Bible says that Jesus passed by and He saw a man. And I'm thankful that the Lord saw a man. He saw me. And He had compassion on me. He had love for me. And that He give Himself for me. And that He sent His Spirit to Give me life so that I might experience Him and know Him. See, we, we always have it backwards in modern-day evangelicalism. It's us that sought after the Lord. It's us who chose the Lord. It's us who accepted Him. That's just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that no one seeks after God. The Bible says that we are we don't accept Him, that we must be accepted in the Beloved. We're the ones that have to be accepted in Christ Jesus. We don't follow after him and look after him. Now, once he gives us spiritual life, yes, that's true. The Bible does say, seek and you will find. But who's that speaking to? It's speaking to the child of grace who has been given spiritual life to be able to do that. Without that spiritual life, no man seeketh after God. No man comes to me. That's why Jesus said, you know, no one comes to the Father except they be drawn. Nobody comes to the Father except to be granted unto them that they might come. They have to be granted spiritual life so that they can even have that desire to come uh, to the Lord. And here Jesus, he saw someone who was blind, who had no idea about anything that was going on as far as visually. And he had compassion on him. He saw him out of all the crowd. (coughs) His heart was set upon him. And he came and he began to minister unto him He said, And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Matter of fact, uh, I've got another verse here that I want us to look at before I move on. I'm going to go ahead and move on, but I want us to look at this because I think this also is a great picture. Look at uh, 1 John, or not 1 John, excuse me, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is uh, Jesus calling out his disciples. Is where we're at here. and it's, Look at verse 43 with me. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip of Bethesda, Bethsaida, excuse me, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip findeth Nathanael, And saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Now there's a whole other sermon in that. I'll try not to get off track and get, get into that. But that doesn't mean that Nathanael was sinless, by the way. That just meant that Jesus knew that he was one of his and that his righteousness had been imputed unto Nathanael. Therefore, there was no guile found in Nathanael. Nathanael was a child of grace. Okay, But it says, Behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no guile. In Verse 48 it says, Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And how often have we thought that? When did you know me? When did you... Maybe you've had the thoughts, why did the Lord place His love upon me and not others? You know? We used to always talk about, you know, there may be two brothers sitting side by side in the church and one is saved and the other one isn't. How is it that one became saved and the other isn't? Especially like... Let's, let's go back even to Jacob and Esau. Here we got two brothers that are twins coming out of the same womb at the same time. You would think that, it, of course, as we talk a lot about how twins are so much alike and have the same thought processes and characters and mannerisms, even ones that have been separated at birth, growing up and find out that sometimes they go into the same profession and marry people that have the same characteristics and all like that. I mean, it's just kind of weird Thing like that, how God does the... But here we have Jacob and Esau came out of the same womb, same mother, and here is one who is loved of God and one who isn't. One who is blessed to be saved and one who isn't. And we say, well, what caused this to be such... What you know, how is it that this one has love set upon him and this one isn't? Well, that's the sovereign choice, the sovereign election, the sovereign...
1: Uh, um, uh, God is that, and it's right to do that.
0: And so I can't say that I came to Jesus, that I did this or I did that, because
1: I could do nothing had He not came to me. Jesus not have came? To me. Jesus not knew
0: Him before the foundation of the world. Nathaniel's coming, yes, is a thing that happens in time. Some people may say, well, there was means. He had a guy that went to him and said, hey, come and see this man. And he took him to the man. And when he went to the man, he listened to the man. And the man talked to him. And after he talked to him, he began to believe and follow him. So there you go. There's means and all that. Now, brethren, that is all ordained of God as well. That was predestined of God. And Nathanael would not have even known or come or done anything had it not been being known of God before the foundation of the world. Look what it says here. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee. So see, this takes out means, don't it? Before Philip even told you about me and told you to come and follow and see me. He said, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Immediately Nathanael knew. There's no one that can know that. No one can know me in such a way. We know Nathanael was there under the fig tree and Jesus knew that. How did Jesus know that? Because Jesus is omnipotent because he's omniscient, excuse me. Uh, he's God. He's <coughs> God. And He knows all things. But more importantly, not only does He know all things, He knows His sheep. He knows His sheep. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10, uh, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also, here it is, I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, and one shepherd. So here we see again that Jesus knows his people. He knows them. He sees them. He is aware of them. Whatever point in time that they are, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New Testament, He knows His children. And every one of those children that He knows, the Bible says He loves. And every one of those ones that He
1: knows and that He loves, the Bible says He laid down that Jesus for everybody is, is correct. That is
0: not the biblical gospel. That's not the biblical atonement. The biblical atonement is that everyone that whom Christ died for is his sheep. And Jesus made very clear that there were some that were his sheep and some that were not his sheep. He told the religious leaders, he said, You don't believe, you don't hear my words because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. See, we follow him because he comes to us, he sees us, he knows us, and as we're fixing the seat, he causes us to see. Look at, if we would back in uh, chapter 9, he says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now that's just kind of the natural thing that everybody thought. Matter of fact, this was a thought process of these men at this time. The Jews believed that uh, there was cause and effect. And if you sinned, that God made, you know, did all this stuff. And there is. God does uh, punish sin in different ways. And things like this. And there was also uh, the Old Testament scriptures. That uh, the sins of the Father will be passed down upon the sons to the third and fourth generation. I think it says. And everything and that in and of itself needs its own explaining, but just the repercussions of sin. See, if I live a debaucherous lifestyle in front of my children, if I uh, live as a drunkard or as an adulterer or as an abuser or whatever it is like that, my children grow up seeing that, that's going to affect how they are, and they may become the same type of person in their life, and if they do that, then their children may do that as well. It's not saying that the guilt of the father is going to be punished in the children because of what the father did. That's not what that's saying. But what that's saying is it's saying that this this effect of living in such a way is passed down to your children and that they will experience and, and be judged for the same things, right? But here we see these people thought this man was born blind because either something that he did or something that his parents did and that he was suffering this blindness because of that. Now look what Jesus says here, brethren, and, and, and I think this is a very, very um, uh, amazing verse that Jesus uh, 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 says here, and, and it goes along with what we talked about last week. It says, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him, The whole reason this man was caused to be blind from birth had nothing to do with his genealogy, had nothing to do with his physiology, had nothing to do with his psychology, had nothing to do with his parents' sin or his own sin. It had nothing to do with anything that God ordained this man to come into this world made blind. This man came into the world made blind, without the ability to see, without the the ability to function with sight. That's how he was made, from birth. He was like that. And Jesus said, this has nothing to do with whether this man sinned, or whether his parents sinned, it has nothing to do with anything. The only reason that this man came into this world completely blind is that God should be manifest in Him. Now, brethren, let's think back to our beginnings. The whole reason that we came into this world in Adam, blind, unable to keep the law of God, unable to do anything righteous before God, the reason Adam was made the way that he was made, was so that the glory of God... Might be made manifest. We talked about this last week in the predestination stuff. Whenever we're talking about sin and evil, the reason that God ordained Adam's sin and that He made him a man natural, He made him a man earthy, He made him a man unable, or excuse me, without uh, the Spirit of God and unable to keep the law of God. The reason that God made him that way and said it was good, by the way. Not saying that what Adam did was good, but he said the way I made Adam, he looked upon Adam and he said his creation was good because Adam was made for the purpose that God created him to be and that was the man who would bring sin and evil into the world. And so therefore, Adam was brought in, so to speak, blind, without the Spirit of God, without the ability to obey God, and whenever, as Romans 5 says, the law came in so that the sin, so that the law came in so that the sin might abound. So that sin would come into the world. And death came by sin. Why? Because God, before the foundation of the world, had set up Jesus Christ to be a surety for a people that He loved before ever there was any sin. But yet God had predestinated that these people that he loved would be brought forth in bodies of flesh natural men and in that natural man would not be able to do anything to please God or have a righteousness of their own but yet God to display his mercy and righteousness and grace and love and justice would bring forth a Redeemer, to redeem them from their sins. But He also would bring forth judgment upon all those that He did not set that love upon. And so we see that Adam coming into the world blind, so to speak, if you want to say that, coming into the world the way that he was, was predestined to fall predestinated to be the one that would sin and bring that sin upon all mankind because everything reproduces after its own kind, remember? We are a seed of Adam, so we are reproduced after his likeness, made in his likeness, after his image. We too have come into the world, every one of us has come into the world made blind without the Spirit of God. But yet in God's appointed time like with this man Jesus passes by and he brings light out of darkness. He causes us to see. He gives us sight. He says this man, neither this man or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, the works of God should be made manifest in him. So this man is made blind so that there is something that will be made manifest about God working. But look how verse 4, Jesus ties this together. He says, I must work the works of Him that sent me. So who's doing the work? It's Christ. It's not us moral reformation. It's not us uh, appropriating the means. It's not us seeking after God. No, it's a work that only Christ can do. The only way that any of us are ever going to be made whole again, if any of us are ever going to be made to see, if any of us are going to ever be made to hear, to understand, to love God, to love the brethren, to trust in Christ alone, to to, uh, desire uh, righteousness and holiness, if any of us are going to be that, It's going to be a work of Christ, and not our own work. The flesh produces nothing but sin. The flesh profits nothing. The only thing that can produce anything is Christ. And by His Spirit, He works in us. By His Spirit, He has given us life. He has given us love for God, and He has given us love for the brethren. And he says, "I must work the works of Him that sent me." So he is sent of God, right? Christ is the one who is sent of God. God sent Christ. Now that doesn't mean that there are that Christ is uh, not God. Okay, Christ is God, but we're talking about the the man Christ Jesus, God becoming flesh, God entering into to human uh, flesh and coming. As our surety, coming as our redeemer, coming as our substitute. God coming, tabernacling with man. God with us, right? God sending himself as Christ into this world. And whenever he said he came into this world, he came to do what? All that God told me to do. He sent me into the world to do all that... And in John chapter 17, I believe it is, Jesus said, I've done all the things you've told me to do. I've lost nothing. All these that you've given to me, I've lost none of them. But notice if you would, He said, He's the sent one. He, I must work the works of Him that sent me. So Jesus is the one sent to do the work. And so therefore... The manifesting of the works of God is found in the man, Jesus Christ. Whether it be the initial experience, as we experience belief and repentance and faith and and, uh, spiritual awakening, quickening, or whether it is his objective work on the cross, his obedience for us, his death for us, his resurrection for us, That objective work of his is also the work of God that he was sent to do on our behalf, in our stead. But also the works that he is doing in us through this experience of that salvation. But keep in mind that word sent there. It says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. So Jesus told us the definition of the word Siloam. It means to be sent, or or sent. S E N T, not S C E N T. Sent. He said, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent." He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seen. See, whenever he was washed in Siloam, he came seen. Brethren I put forth to you that Jesus is Siloam. He's the one sent. He is the one sent by God, and in being sent by God, has become the fountain of living water. That those who are washed in that fountain come seen. Revelation chapter twenty-two, I believe it is. Hope it's twenty-two. Yes, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, and He showed me, this is John speaking, and the angels took Him and says, and He showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the land. Jesus said that He is... Living water. He said that those that are His, that out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. We spoke a couple weeks ago when we was talking about eternal body union, that that life that God had before the foundation of the world, that was Christ, eternal life, is given to us. That eternal life that is in us is the life of God Himself. That's Jesus Christ's life. He is life. And we have life in us. And it says here that if we have Christ in us, that in our, in us, flows rivers of living water. Christ is that living water. Christ is Him who is in us, doing the works of God, so that the, that God might be manifest. And as we will see, not only in time, but for all eternity that it might be manifest the glory of God. He has done this so that God would be glorified not only now, but for all time. The Bible says that we are going to be gathered around the throne of God and we are going to be singing, uh, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who has redeemed us with his blood. We're going to be crying, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his blood. Glory! Listen, we are going to be glorifying God for the punishment and the and the judgment upon wickedness and upon evil. I mean, a lot of times we don't think about that, but the Bible is very clear. Especially whenever you look in the Old Testament, the Bible says, "I laughed at their
1: derision." And going to Judge the. That God will be located in his holiness, that God will be displayed for who he is,
0: and his righteousness will be displayed to all people. But it says here, he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, go wash in the pool of the one who was sent. In Isaiah chapter 35, if I'm going to turn back there. I've just got a few more thoughts to share. Isaiah 35, verse 1 says, The wilderness and the solitary places shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. How how can the desert blossom? We know the desert's barren, right? How's the only thing, how's the only way that in the desert something can blossom, can plant life grow? There has to be water. This is saying that there's going to be water that comes to the desert so that things might begin to blossom. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. Think about the barrenness of our heart, the barrenness of who we are apart from Christ Jesus. Before Christ came into us and that well sprang up with living water, we were barren. We were dead. You look at the desert, that's basically what it is. It's just deadness. Nothing's there. You might find a few carcasses there. Anything that goes into the desert that's alive, unless they find water, they're going to end up dead too. Anything that I produce in my flesh, the flesh of this deadness, will be dead. Anything that comes into this desert that I might put forth as works will be dead before God. The Bible says that they're filthy rags. The Bible says that they cannot please Him, that they're nothing. Jesus said that they are workers of iniquity. Those people that come before Him said, Did we not do this and do this and do this in your name? And He said, Depart from me, you doers of iniquity. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity, excuse me. But it says, It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, behold your God will come with vengeance. Even God with recompense, He will come and save you. Then, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped then shall the lame man leap as uh, as an heart and the tongue of the dumb sing for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert and the parched ground shall come uh, shall become a pool and the thirsty lands land springs of water in the habitation of dragons where each lay Shall be grass with reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, those fools shall not uh, err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It says there the ransom of the Lord shall return. This man who was blind from birth came forth blind from birth, but he didn't return back that way. He returned back, seeing. Every one of us who are children of grace, we come forth from the womb spiritually blind, spiritually dead, spiritually uh, 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 a desert, spiritually unable to hear. But brethren, we don't go back to God that way. We came from Adam dead, we go back to God alive. Why? Because we've been sent to the pool. We've been sent to the pool of Siloam. We've been sent to the place where the rivers of living water are. And where the rivers of living water are, what does it say here? It says that they will flourish. It will bloom up. Rather, the only way that we can enjoy the, the graces that God has given us as far as our understanding, our love, our our, our, our faith, our brokenness, our contrite hearts, humility, patience, love, The gifts of the Spirit. Joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, temperance. All those things, those are the things that are springing up and flourishing in the child of grace. (laughs) Because the desert's been watered. Because the pool of Siloam, we've been cleansed in the pool. Because there has been put within us the waters, the everlasting waters. And it's all because it all comes down to He saw us. He saw us. Before the foundation of the world, He saw us. And He put His love upon us. It wasn't nothing any good that He saw in me. It wasn't anything that I would ever do for Him. He saw me in His eternal wisdom, His eternal purpose. He saw me and chose me. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. No one deserves that. This man came blind into this world. And a lot of people say, well, he didn't deserve to be blind. What did this man do? He didn't do nothing. You know, take the opposite side of what these disciples were saying. Say, well, what did that man do? Why did that little baby come in blind for? That little baby is, is, you know, experiencing that. Brethren, we forget. That even from the womb, we come forth speaking lies. Even from the womb, we come forth. The Bible says that we are wicked and evil from the womb. We look at these little babies and we think how precious and how wonderful. But they are flesh. They are of the earth, earthy. And as they come forth from the womb, they come forth at enmity with God. And so yes, even these little babies that come forth because of their unrighteousness, and you say, well, how can they be unrighteousness? They've never sinned. Brethren, it's because of who they are. In Adam who they are. Listen, we deserve anything that would ever come to us as far as any kind of bad thing or evil thing or whatever because of who we are in Adam. We don't deserve anything. And this man who was blind from birth, he didn't deserve to be made whole. Matter of fact, the very fact that he was an enmity at God, an enemy of God. The very fact that he was of Adam. Meant that he didn't deserve the righteousness of God. The healing that God brought to him. Those were by grace. Those were by mercy. Those were out of love for the man. Therefore, whenever we look at our, at our salvation, listen, the very fact that God quickens us to life, that He gives us understanding, eyes to see and ears to hear spiritual things, that He gives us a desire to come, that He gives us faith in Christ Jesus, that He gives us repentance from dead works and repentance from false gospels, and that He gives us the perseverance to stand in that faith and to stand in the, in the uh, Word of God. Listen, all those things are grace and mercy that God has given to a sinner that could never do those things. A desert will always remain a desert unless water comes and causes it to flourish. A dead man can't produce anything. A dead man has to be made alive. And so like with the prophet, the question is, asked: can these bones live? And what was God's reply? Or what was the prophet's reply? Only thou knowest. The only way that we know if one of us could ever be alive is if God knows us. Only he knows those who he will make alive. Because he knows them. And he sees them. And he has compassion upon them. And his grace and mercy will always be set upon them. So anyway, I pray that that's been some uh, comfort to you guys. Uh, there's a song that my daughter sang one time when she was really little. I think I made mention of this a few weeks ago. I happened to find the uh, the words to it, uh, at least to the first verse and the chorus and everything. And I thought I'd read that to you. The name of the song is "Jesus Knows Me This I Love." Now we always have heard the song "Jesus Loves Me This I Know." But this was kind of a twist on that is Jesus knows me, this I love. And that's kind of what put in my mind to some of the songs that we we're singing this morning is the fact of, of Jesus knowing us is something that brings joy and excitement to my heart, and to any child of grace, I would say, is the fact that unless he knows us, we'll never spring forth with seeing and hearing and life. But the words of the song goes, first verse says, Before time was measured, before there was light, before any colors were set in the sky, he knew all about me. Every breath that I would take, he called me by name. And then the chorus goes, Jesus knows me, this I love, though I'll never understand how he could see the heart of me and want me just the way I am. Jesus knows me this I love now for a little kid song I thought that was pretty doctrinally sound <laughs> and everything but that's the, that's the thing is Jesus does know his people and as he sees us in Adam there is nothing there that he could ever want not that's why I always say why did Jesus place his love on me it isn't nothing in me the only answer to that is because it was God's will that's the only answer that we have it from Scripture. The only answer we have from Scripture is that He has caused us to differ. He has caused us to do that because He has loved us with everlasting love. So anyway, anybody got any questions or any comments or anything that you want to add to that? Wouldn't you like to say this one, brother? About 212.
1: Man. 212,
0: <laughs> For a song. Okay, I don't know this song though. so if you want to sing it for me.
1: For weak and
0: worthless though I am, I have
1: a rich
0: almighty friend.
1: Jesus the
0: Savior is his name. He He me from hell with blood, and by his power my foes controlled. He found me wandering far from God, and brought me to his chosen fold. He cheers my heart, my wants of life, and says that I. Shall shortly be in front with him above the skies. Oh, what a friend is Christ to me. Anybody else got another song you want to sing? Got anything you want to add? Any corrections or anything? All right, let's bow We'll have more prayer. Lord, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you for all that we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the uh, time together this morning, Lord. And we ask that you just might bless it, that you might be with us as we leave today, and that you might be with us uh, until we meet again. Lord, that you might keep us safe, that you might keep us in the faith. We pray, Lord, that today that the Lord Jesus... Has been glorified in all that we have done and all that we have sung and, and, and said and Lord I just thank you.